said, my name is Ricardo Simon. I am one of the pastors uh, at, uh, at Grace, and I'm from the Avon location. Uh, last year, we got a chance to do this same thing where in the month of August, we go to the different locations. And I think I might have been on vacation that first weekend, so I didn't get to go- come to West Bridgewater, but I'm really glad that I'm here this morning. Um, I'm hope. I'm hoping that you're glad that I'm here with you this morning, too. Please give me some affirmation. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for that. appreciate it. Um, so we're going to be jumping in. But I wanted to share with you just a little bit about my anxiety. I mean, I struggle to call it that, but that's probably what it is. Um, I'm a little bit anxious getting or being on an airplane. Um particularly the part with turbulence. Like I don't, I don't like turbulence. I don't like roller coasters. I don't like that feeling that your gut is kind of like being displaced in your stomach. Like I don't like that. Um, and so people that do roller coasters, how many of you like roller coasters? You like roller coasters. Okay. I, why do you like, why do you consider fun when you're afraid for your life? Like I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so uh, I don't know why I, I've become more anxious about flying in an airplane. Um, sometimes I think it's because of this one experience I had flying to Louisiana. It was for my uncle's graduation. And uh, it was like myself, my mom, a couple of my, uh, my aunts and my cousins. And we're on this airplane and there's like a connecting flight. But this connecting flight, that's probably like an hour. It's like we're in this tiny airplane, right? But we were flying through a, a massive storm. Um, and, and you know what told me that I should be nervous besides people going, ah, was, uh, or were the flight attendants when they got in their seat and they were like, that's when I knew this is going to be bad, right? And it was, it was just constant, like this airplane is going like this, flying through the storm, we're seeing lightning and it was rain. It was, it was really, really scary. And, Whatever reason, I don't know how long ago it was. I don't know how old I was. I just, I think I've been trying to repress the memory. Um, but we, we get anxious about stuff. How many of you are afraid, uh, uh, or anxious about flying? Raise your hand. Just a couple of us, right? A few of us. Maybe some of you are lying. All right. Those of you who are not afraid about, uh, not afraid of flying, what if I asked you to preach this morning in front of everybody, right? You probably peed your pants just a little bit because, (laughs) For whatever reason, public speaking is like one of the greatest fears that everyone experiences. Like we just, it's hard to talk in front of people, right? But we all, or maybe you're afraid, um, uh, you're afraid to, to stand up to the bully, right? Either at school or at work. Um, so there are things that we are afraid of and things that we're anxious about, right? So all of us, uh, can experience fear, can experience anxiety. And so we're jumping in this triggered series because um, things trigger us. The events that we experience, the things that are done to us, trigger us. And we respond to the emotions that God has given us in a negative way. They impact us negatively, emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. But I'm here to tell you this morning that it doesn't need to control you. Your fear and anxiety does not need to be in, in the driver's seat. I believe that God gave them to you and that humanly speaking, it affects our health and also spiritually speaking, it it can affect our our spiritual growth. Um, I think they're intertwined. Uh, Dan alluded to this with that elective that he talked about, Emotionally uh, uh, Healthy Spirituality. It's written by this, uh, it's a book series 
um, written by this uh, author. His name is Peter Scazzaro. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, this is what he says. Where did we get the idea that it's possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature? I think sometimes, especially if we've grown up in church, we think that we can be spiritually mature. We know a lot about God. We have a lot of experience with him. But yet when it comes to our emotions, like we don't know how to deal with them in the right way. And for whatever reason, we separate the two. That I can be spiritually mature, but yet at the same time, I handle my emotions horribly and they control my life. And so the two aren't separated. Um, so we're going to tackle fear and anxiety this morning. So I am happy to be here with you, even though it's a, a really tough subject. So um, we're going through this together because I'm not immune to it at all. Matter of fact, I'm here to let you know that uh, this teaching is not going to remove your experience of fear and anxiety, that you are going to experience this, some of you, every day of your life, right? And I think that's just a reality about being human. To be human is to fear and to be anxious. It's something that, that we experience. So you're not going to magically stop experiencing that or struggling with it when you leave these doors. And the other thing, I'm not here also to tell you that if you need professional help and you need the use of medication to not get that help, right? I think primarily speaking, God has come to rescue our souls and he's done that through his son, Jesus Christ, right? Our bodies, though, he's not here to rescue our bodies. Matter of fact, we're going to get new ones. We're going to be done with these bodies anyway, right? Scripture says. And so some of the things like physically some of us, like I was, I was talking to Dan in the back, like my family deals with arthritis. I know at some point I'm going to be replacing these knees and it, it sucks. I don't want to, but I'm going to have to. And when I play basketball now at the size that I'm at, like my, my knees swell. But some of you, you have great knees, right? And I'm jealous of you. I kind of hate you just a little bit. Um, uh, but like physical ailments, some of us deal with them more than others, and we need either the use of doctors or medication, and it's the same thing for some of the mental things that we deal with, right? Sometimes we need the use of professional services and medication, so I'm not here to tell you that that stuff is wrong, and you might have heard that before, but that's not what we're talking about today. As long as you know, primarily speaking, Jesus is here to rescue your souls, and that's the most important thing, and that medication or service, whatever it is, isn't the primary thing that you lean on, all right? So, but as we jump into fear and anxiety, we got to lay some groundwork. We're going to talk about definitions, super sexy, right? We're going to talk about clinical definitions, the stuff that you crave. So I'm just going to ask you for the next couple of minutes, hang with me just a little bit, because I think it's important for us to understand when we're talking about fear and anxiety, because we use it interchangeably, but they're not the same things, although they're related, and at the same time, Scripture addresses them in different ways. So I wanted to define them for you. And I had the opportunity while doing some research to also interview some Christian therapists. And they defined uh, um, fear and anxiety from a clinical standpoint, but also intertwining the spiritual stuff. Right. And I got to see how some of the things that we define when you talk about science. Right. Um, and psychology, that they're just. A, a, a rendition of what God has already said. So let's take a look at it. Uh, fear. Fear functions as an alerting system that can shield us from danger. 
functions as an alerting system that can shield us from danger. When someone experiences fear, the sympathetic nervous system is activated and stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline are released, priming us to either stay and address the concern or escape the event, which is called our, what's it called? Fight or flight. That's right. Fight or flight response. Natural. This is the extreme version of it. If someone feels a, dispor- a disproportionate level of fear or has a heightened sensitivity to possible threats, that may indicate a chronic psychological condition called post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. So that's fear in, in the extreme. Anxiety, on the other hand, is a natural human emotion in response to a stressful or a perceived threat in the future, right? The extreme of that is higher levels of anxiety may be prompted by an overreaction to a threat you perceive as more serious than it really is, which often are reflected in self-destructive behaviors such as obsessive worrying or overthinking, social isolation, or dependent behaviors like substance misuse or overeating, right? Fear is an immediate response to a threat, while anxiety occurs in anticipation of a threat. This is what the Bible says about them, and they're related. When you talk about fear, the Bible typically puts it in the framework of being afraid. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Right? And it's, all it is is it's, being in this, it's in the state of being scared. Like in that moment, you are fearful. You are experiencing dread. When it comes to anxiety, being anxious It is caring too much about something to the point of being distracted and troubled by it. And so the Bible, when it's talking, because it's in in the action form, right? It's a verb form when we can describe it as an adjective. It means you're experiencing it in the extreme in that moment. So whenever you see it, the person is is experiencing it at the extreme in, in that moment, right? And so now that we've defined it, you guys still with me? Did I lose any of you? Now, all right, great. We're going to jump at gen- in, into Genesis chapter 3 because that's where we start, where we first see emotions into the playing field. So verse 6, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. The woman was convinced. She's talking about Eve. She's convinced about eating the fruit that she's not supposed to eat and then Adam eating it as well, right? The woman was convinced. I'm going to actually jump to verse 7. Just to let you know, she does eat the fruit and so does Adam. Right, verse 7, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame, right? This is the emotion coming into play. They felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. I don't know what that means. I don't know if they heard God stomping about. I don't know if they just heard rustling of the leaves. We don't know. But they knew that he was coming. Um, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Uh, whenever you see God ask a question, it's not that he doesn't know. He doesn't need more information. This is God pointing something out to the person he's asking the question to. Right. So this is for Adam. He's wanting Adam to realize, whoa, before what you did, we were good. Right, We were in harmony. We were in relationship with each other. I came about at a certain time, and we spent time with each other. Now, all of a sudden, you're hiding. Where are you? 
Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? I, I want to point this out also. God doesn't say, why are you afraid? He goes straight to the point. Who told you that you, who told you to eat the fruit? Why did you eat it? That then resulted in you hiding from me and feeling shame and feeling afraid. And, and, and I'm going to point something out there, and, and, and maybe you may or may not agree, but I, I think being afraid at that moment was normal. They had done something that they weren't supposed to do. They realized God was coming and that they did something they weren't supposed to do that God told them not to do, and thus they were afraid. And so God doesn't, he gets straight to the point. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commend you not to eat? So here's a question that came out as I was doing this research and wrestling with this is before the fall, this is when, this is how we describe sin entering the world. Sin is our disobedience to God and our selfishness to, towards our fellow man and woman. Um, and, and then it came in and corrupted everything. So before that, did we need fear and anxiety? Was it an emotion that Adam and Eve would have ever experienced? The Bible doesn't necessarily address that directly, but I think, I think it's no. I didn't think they needed to because they were in perfect relationship with God. And so everything was taken care of. What, what would they need to be afraid of, right? There were no animals. There were animals, but they weren't in, uh, it's not how it is now where animals are looking to eat, so they're going to eat you, right? It's, it wasn't that situation before then. Adam was actually naming the animals, right? And so there was harmony there. So there wasn't this danger. Um, there wasn't this anxiety about what they, because God provided all this stuff. So I think it's no. But what I, that also tells me is that I think God has given us a spectrum of emotions that benefit us after the fall. Because what does fear and anxiety do for us? In small doses, I learned is that it can be a benefit. For example, I'm Haitian. And so uh, this doesn't, I'm not speaking for all Haitians, but for the most of us, right, from the Caribbean island, although I was born here, my, my mom and my oldest siblings were born in Haiti, we don't do well with animals. We don't mess around with animals. We just don't, right? I mean, we barely want pets, right? Um, <laughs> I was going to share a story. We don't have time for that. Uh, but I was watching this reel, uh, and it was these guys filming this brown bear running towards them. And then the caption said, if you see brown, lay down. And my response was, I'm not laying down. I'm running. That's my fight or flight response. Like, I'm going to get to the car that hopefully I parked nearby. I'm getting in the car and I'm driving away. I'm not laying down with some bear breathing over me. No, that's not the sort of response that I'm going to have. But in that moment, and, and maybe laying down is the best thing to do, but that's how your body responds. It's telling, okay, you need to do this so you do not die. So I don't mess around, I don't mess around with animals, right? And so, but even in that experience, I see that is beneficial, right? And, and being anxious, when we think about, okay, what am I going to eat? Or what are we going to eat tomorrow night? You thinking about that will say, you know what? That also tells me I need to go and grocery shop because we don't have anything in the fridge to cook. So I'm going to go do that. If you didn't have that sort of sense, then you wouldn't do anything. And then Tomorrow evening would show up and you would have no dinner in front of you. You wouldn't be able to feed your family or yourself, right? And so in small doses, fear and anxiety 
can be a benefit. So let's recap just a little bit. Fear is, is the emotion of being terrified and is an immediate response to an immediate threat. Anxiety is the emotion of being troubled by our cares and is anticipation of a threat. And God has given us these emotions as our benefit, particularly and especially after the fall, right? If we respond appropriately. But here's the thing. We don't tend to respond appropriately to our emotions. And so we get ourselves in trouble. We get triggered by the things around us, right? So we have an improper response to fear and anxiety, which impacts us negatively and starts our spiritual growth. What are some of the things that can trigger us? World events, you know, rumors of wars, crime, politics, pandemics, right? Financial burdens. Are you concerned that your business is going to survive the following year or how you're going to pay your bills at the end of the month or whether your kids are safe in school after you drop them off? Like these are all things that can trigger us. So if it's natural for us to experience fear and anxiety, and it's also natural for us to respond in an improper way to them, then how does God want us to respond? And this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. We're going to look at Peter. I think he's, he's one of the disciples or was one of the disciples of Jesus. And he's, he's the guy that has like these really great experience with Jesus, but also rebuked by him in the next breath, right? He does some really great things and then some dumb things. I can relate to that. Can you relate to that, right? And so he has this crazy experience with Jesus that's going to instruct us on how we should respond to fear. And we're going to look at that at, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It will show up on the screens, so follow along with me. Verse 22 says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Verse 24, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. Just pausing here. These, these guys are experienced fishermen, but they're struggling in the water, right? Like the boat's probably this way, rocking back and forth. And then the Bible makes sure, makes sure to highlight that they are in trouble, right? Very likely that they might die. They're going to drown that night. That's how severe the storm was. It says, Jesus came towards them in the middle of the night, walking on the water. I'm just going to stop there because I think we, we tend to kind of gloss over details like this. But I want you to picture you being on a boat, right? That's another thing Haitians don't like to be a part of, even though they're surrounded by water. Like a lot of them don't swim. I know how to swim, but a lot of Haitian folks don't know how to swim. Right? So we don't like being on water. So imagine yourself on a boat. You're in this storm, and this is what's happening. You're going back and forth in the middle of the night. So it's dark, and the only thing that's lighting what you're seeing is the lightning. And then you see this figure walking on water. What's your reaction? Right? This was their reaction. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In the Bible, the supernatural, miraculous things that we see are sprinkled over thousands of years in human history. So they don't experience this on a day-to-day -day basis. God does not speak to them on a day-to-day -day basis. So whenever they have that experience, they're afraid. Naturally so. 
So if they see a person walking on water, they are naturally terrified, right? As you would be. So if you imagine that, that's what they're, that's what they're experiencing. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost, because that's the only rational thing in that moment, because it can't be a human being, because human beings don't walk on water. And here's this guy approaching us in our hour of death to take, right? They're probably thinking the Grim Reaper, whatever version that is back in those times. And you'd probably think the same, like, it's, it's done. It's done for me. Life is over. But this is what Jesus says in verse 27. Jesus spoke to them at once, realizing that they were terrified. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Why is Jesus telling them not to be afraid? He's not just randomly saying, don't be afraid. It's natural, right? Is it natural for them to be afraid in the situation that they're in? Boats being rocked, there's a person walking on water. Yes or no? Yes, right? But he tells them not to be afraid. Why? Because he is here. Now, we might not see this at first glance, but what it's telling, Jesus is not simply saying, I'm physically here with you. What he's also saying is, I am God. God is with you. The I am that's there, if you look at different translations or you look at the Greek, it is, it is I. And so if you, if you study that, you'll see that phrase is used in different places in the Gospels. One of them is John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He's calling them, uh, he's saying that their dad is the devil. Like Abraham can't be who they represent because they don't believe what he's saying. So he's like, you're not... Abraham's not your forefather, the devil is. So they're going back and forth and arguing, and Jesus says, matter of fact, Abraham looked forward to the day that I would be born, right? The day that I would come on this earth and do what I'm going to do. And naturally so, they're like, what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old. What do you mean? Right? Because they're looking at Jesus as some regular dude who's a carpenter and his dad was a carpenter. So they're like, you're not even 50 And this is how Jesus responds. Before Abraham was, I am. What a weird thing to say. But the Pharisees understood because they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because Jesus was claiming to be God by saying, I am. How so? This is a callback to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, Moses is speaking to God. God interacts with him. In the form of a burning bush, flames, but the tree, the bush isn't burning. And God is talking to Moses and said, hey, I'm going to use you to free my people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And you're going to do this, 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 and that. And then at the end, Moses says, all right, well, when I tell them that the God of their ancestors has sent me, what name should I use? And then God responds and says, tell them I am who I am has sent you. What does that mean? I'm the ever existing one. I have no beginning. I've just always existed. I'm self-existing and self-sufficient. I don't need anyone to help me exist. Right? I transcend space and time. I am the God of the universe. And so whoever I say I am is who I say I am. And whatever I say I'm going to do is what I'm going to do. So if I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to rescue you. And there's no one that can stop me. And I'm going to do it in the manner that I want to. You tell them 
I am has sent you. And so Jesus calls back to that, and that's why they wanted to kill him. And then when we go back to the disciples being rocked in the boat and Jesus walking on water, he tells them not to be afraid because I am is here. The God of the universe is here to rescue you. The God who's greater than the storm is here to save you. The God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he's our rescuer. He initiates our faith and then he finishes it. He's the one who is full of love, joy, compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love, right? He is God, and that's the God that we can place all of our fears on. So our first response to fear is to trust who Jesus says he is. We need to trust who Jesus says he is, and that's, that's, what, that's what Peter did. My, my, my daughter, Madison, she's, she's seven years old, um, when she has a nightmare, if you've ever had nightmares as a kid or even just now, right, you, you look for comfort. And so when she wakes up in the middle of the night, who is she going to in the middle of the night? Who? Me, right? Last service said mom. And I was like, mom and dad, not just mom. Like, I'm, I'm here too, right? She goes, she goes to her parents, right, because that's who she feels safe with. And so either... We allow her to sleep in the middle of us, or I bring her back to a room and I'm telling her, hey, there is nothing to be afraid of. You just had a bad dream. Mom and dad are across the hall. We're not going to let anything happen to you. And she eventually goes back to sleep. She finds comfort in what I've told her as her parents. And so in the same way, Jesus is like, you, need, can, you can find comfort in what I've told you. So you need to believe and trust who Jesus says he is. Uh, let's go back to Matthew chapter 14. So we, we have one more response in this passage, and then we're going to look at two other ones when it comes to addressing anxiety. But verse 28 of Matthew chapter 14. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. So Peter, his first response is, all right, Jesus, I trust who you say you are. You said I am, you, you are God, right? The, the passage before this we didn't read, uh, Jesus had just multi- multiplied the bread and the fish, right? So he had perfor- performed this miracle that they're now, they're processing. And here he comes walking on water, right? And so Peter gets all of this and, and, and Jesus says, I'm God. And he's like, I believe you because you're walking on water and you multiplied bread and fish. Like this stuff doesn't make any sense. And so he says, if it's you, right, tell me to come and I'll get in this water right now. How many of you, if Jesus, whatever you think Jesus looks like, he told you to step outside of the boat to walk on water is going to walk on water? I don't know. I might have stayed myself in the boat just like the other disciples did. Peter's out here on some other stuff, right? And so, like, but he believes what Jesus says he would do. And that's our second response to fear, that not only, one, that we trust who Jesus says he is, but we trust what Jesus says he'll do. He told Peter, you can come, and Peter believed him. And Peter started walking on water. I told you, like, Peter had these amazing things, but then he started to drown. Why did he start to drown? Verse 30 tells us, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, 
he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Peter trusted what Jesus says he would do, but even when he faltered, and this is the thing that I think I can relate to, right? I told you Peter has like these great moments, and then at the same time, he messes up, right? So he's walking on water, then he gets distracted, becomes troubled by the winds, and he starts to drown. Because who's, who was keeping him up, his own ability, or was it Jesus? Jesus. And so he took his eyes off of that. But even in that moment, he cried out to God, and Jesus stuck out his hand and rescued him. And so for you and I, we're going to leave here. We're going to try and deal with our, 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 our fear and anxiety the way that we are talking about, the way that God wants us to. And we're going to struggle. We're going to mess up. We're going to trip up. But then we can still go back to God and say, God, please rescue me. And he will. And I think that's something that for us we can take with us. So this is how Peter responded to fear and how we can. Trust who Jesus says he is and trust what Jesus says he'll do. This is how we're going to respond to anxiety, though. And we're going to look at two other passages. First is Matthew chapter 6, and the second is Philippians chapter 4. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. This is what Jesus says. Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. I didn't mention this earlier, but if there's any of you here and you're struggling or you're skeptical about whether God exists, and and you're asking yourself, well, if God is the one I need to trust and go to when I experience fear and anxiety, like how does this help me if I don't believe in him? I think the hard reality and Honestly, the thing that I, I want you to wrestle with is that you are created in such a way that we're not, you and I are not supposed to experience fear and anxiety more than we ought to. Because when we do, we look to other things and other people to release that fear and anxiety, whether it be drugs, whether it be medication, or, or in healthy ways, the services that we need, or we try to get it from other people. I give you that example of my daughter. Like we, we try to release fear and anxiety from what we experience because we need to. We're not supposed to. If we experience it more than we should, it does affect us physically, mentally, emotionally, all these things. Right. But what I'm telling you also is that the the shape of the thing, the void that you need to lean on when you experience fear and anxiety is God shaped. Nothing, everything else is temporary. Everything else is a but a little release in some things have detrimental uh, uh, consequences when we go to them. But God is the one thing, the perfect thing, and how he created us that's supposed to fill that void. That's the reality of it all. right? And so Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Your heavenly father knows what you need. Like, I, I, I got you, right? If my daughter was constantly concerned about what she's going to eat in the morning, that would bother me because I'm her dad. Right? And as a good dad, I already know that she needs to eat, right? Three meals or four or five meals or however, she needs to eat something. And so your heavenly father is saying this exact same thing. I know that you need this. 
you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to be anxious about this. Here's that other passage. So when we don't worry, what, what should we do? Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. He didn't say don't worry about everything because that means it leaves room to worry about some things. Matter of fact, God says don't worry about what? Don't worry about anything, not one thing. Instead, pray about everything. Talk to me about it. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So our third response to anxiety is to trust that Jesus will provide for you. You need to trust that Jesus will provide for you. We can go to God with all of the stuff that we worry about, and he can handle it. Like children that go to their parents with the things that they're afraid of, that they're anxious about, God is wanting us to do the same thing. He says, don't worry about anything. Don't, don't be overly anxious about anything you experience. Why? I'm God. I'm the I am. Like, I'm above all of these things. And you know what thanking him does? It forces you to think back on the things that God has already done for you. Because what they do is remind you that he is God and he does provide for you. And so he says, tell me. Just I, Even though I know what you want, I want you to ask because I have a relationship with you. I'm your father. I'm your dad. And I want you to ask these things. Ask. Tell me what you need. And thank me because remember, I have done things for you in the past. And then you will experience God's peace. Sometimes this can trip us up, but I've, I've been able to see it on the other side. I've experienced it because of God's grace in my life, but I've seen it. In my role, I get to meet with, I have the, the privilege of meeting people who are, some, are struggling in a particular season, whether it be financially or some other things. And the folks that have gone to God first, I can tell the difference. Because before, when they come to me, they're saying, hey, this is what I'm in. And you said, as a church family, we can come to you, we can ask, which is, which is true. But I, even if you can't help me, I know that God will provide. And it doesn't make any sense, but I can see the peace on their face, even they're going through some really hard things. They're finding peace in God, even though they're doing the things that they need to. They're asking for help. And, and what that does for me is that reminds me that I should be doing the same thing. Uh, a period of time when my wife and I, we just had one income and we couldn't pay the bills. I had to learn firsthand what it actually meant to trust that God was going to do what he said he's going to do. And that was expressed through paying tithes because it didn't make any sense. I could have saved it for paying a bill. But because I was trusting that God was going to meet my need, I gave what he had asked me to give. And I'm telling you. There's some things that I experienced with God that to this day I can't really explain how he provided them, but he does. So that third thing is trust that Jesus will provide for you. Um, why can we do all these things? I've mentioned it, but I think this verse kind of encompasses all of that. First Peter 5 verse 7, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. He cares about you. Um, that word in the Greek, it just means that he is concerned 
with the details and the interests of your life. God, who's the creator of the universe, cares about the details of your life. He cares about the day-to-day, how you wake up in the morning, who you ask for the things that you need, what you think about when you're heading to work, the things that worry you when you're in class. God cares about all of those things. And he said, because I care about you, you can bring all those things to me. So let's recap real quick. At the center of all of this is trust. If you didn't pick up on it, it's trust. You need to trust who Jesus says he is. You need to trust what Jesus says he'll do. And you need to trust that Jesus will provide for you. But how do we do that on a day-to-day? I remember I said, you're not magically going to stop experiencing fear and anxiety, right? To be human is to fear and to be anxious. But we can do that in a healthy way. How do we do that? I'm going to share with you a few different ways and then we'll wrap up. First thing is you need to seek help and support. Seek help and support. And you can do that in a number of ways. One of the things I mentioned already, if you need therapy, you need the professional services, get it, right? Just know that's not the end-all, be-all. That's not the primary thing. God is your primary thing. But to to live in the day-to-day, right, before we get new bodies that God promises us, you can seek the help that you need. So get therapy. Secondly, friendships. Friendships are good. When you're talking about seeking support and help, friendships are good. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. The friends that we have play a huge role. So make sure you have some good friends. Right? Your friends are who you emulate. Right? Even further, I'm taking a step further. If you're not in a life group, get into a life group. Having biblical community, not only do they support you, in whatever means that they can when you're going through stuff, but they also point you back to Jesus. Remember, that's the, that's the number one thing. Being in biblical community means you guys are walking in that same direction. You're being encouraged. Not only are you developing friendships, but you're being pointed back to Jesus, especially when it matters the most. All right, so that's seeking help and support. Another practical step is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right, that's our, our behaviors are changing. Not behavior modification, right? But your behaviors are changing by changing your thinking. Um, one of the cool things is, as I was doing this research, is that I, I realized that the things that are in modern uh, medicine and psychology are things that God has already spoken about. Like CBT, have, I mean, any of you have heard of CBT? CBT, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a popular method that if you're dealing with anxiety, that a therapist will use with you. And all it is is you're addressing or identifying your uh, unhealthy thinking patterns and you're addressing them so that your behaviors will change. You know what that reminds me of? Romans 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by the changing the way you think. If you haven't realized in fear and anxiety, our minds are at, are at the center of it. And so how we look at a situation does impact us. So if, if you're looking at, all right, I'm going through this tough time, I'm afraid or I'm anxious, I can trust who Jesus says he is, I can trust what Jesus says he'll do, and I can trust that Jesus will provide for me. If that's my mindset, then I'm going to respond to the situation in a completely different way. 
I might be like Peter and step over the boat even because that I can because I can put my trust in Jesus. And so when we change our thinking, we're transformed by that. But we can sometimes trip up or our old ways of thinking kind of creeps back in. And so what the Bible says to do, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, it's to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So when we do mess up, when we do trip up, when we start to get fearful and anxious, you take control of that and say, what did Jesus say? Okay, he said this. All right. Some of us is going to be once in a while. Some of us week to week. Others of us, it's going to be minute to minute. Because you struggle with it so much, you have to constantly remind yourself, this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus says. And that's okay. That's what you need to do in order to get through your day the way that you should get through it. Then do that. Now, you came in this morning, and uh, I, I appreciate you coming and, and, and the fact that I got to worship with you. And we might be smiling, we're going to be grabbing coffee, and we're going to be talking later, and that, all of that is great. I, I enjoy that, and I know that you do too. But I don't know what fears and anxieties you're dealing with where you're sitting. I think I can, if I was a betting man, I'd bet that the majority of us are dealing with something that maybe we compartmentalize, or for the moment, we set aside, or we're actually struggling with right now. But we're dealing with some sort of fear and anxiety, and I don't know what that is, but what I can give you is hope. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. Just, just close them. And I want you to think about the things that you fear and the things that makes you anxious. One of the things I've been struggling with lately um, is that I'm going to die early and leave my family behind. Like, there are times I, I'm, I'm a little anxious about that. Right. And in, in healthy ways, it, it forces me to think about how I can prepare. But in unhealthy ways, I'm, I'm afraid. Right. As if God isn't aware of what will happen to me and that he will continue to provide. And so for me, that's what I'd be thinking about. So whatever that might be for you, I want you to think of it. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Think of that thing. And I'm going to read for you Revelations 21. Because the other reality is, although because of the fall, we experience these emotions, and in small doses, they are helpful, but naturally, they are unhelpful to us because we're excessive in it, we're not going to deal with it forever. There is an end to it, and things will become the way that God intended it. And so Revelations 21 says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with you, and you will be his people. Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To you who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Let's pray. God, I don't know um, people are struggling with. Um, you know what I'm. You know what they're struggling with, and you know what I'm struggling with, God. Um, but I'm thankful, and I'm not left alone, and neither is anyone in this room, God. And you care. You care about the things we struggle with. You care about the things we're afraid of and we're anxious about. And because you care, we can bring them to you. 
We can bring our worries. We can bring the things that distract us from what you want us to do with our lives. And God, you will not only um, provide for us, God, you will also give us peace. And so I'm praying for that, for, for myself and for the people here, that you would provide us with peace, knowing that you will guard our hearts and our mind as we live in you, as we do the things you want us to do. God, I pray that this would lift the burden from our shoulders, that we'd be able to breathe easily, not because our circumstances has changed really, but because we're walking through them with you. God, we're thankful. I'm thankful. And I'm praying all this in Jesus' name. Amen.